We've been thinking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit over these last seven weeks. We have a few more virtues that make up the Spirit's fruit to go. So let's say the verse again. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. My sermon today is on goodness. Any reading of the Bible, uh, casually or deeply, will easily manifest the truth that God wants His people to be good and to do good. And this is the reason why God the Holy Spirit who indwells us is creating and cultivating the virtue of goodness in us. In fact, God himself is good. We just sang that. And because he is good, we are to imitate his goodness. Listen to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. From time to time, we talk about a good teacher, a good policeman, a good parent, uh, a good doctor. What we mean by those acknowledgments is that these sorts of people who are labeled good are people of integrity. They believe the right things and they do the right things. They are people of integrity. Perhaps you've heard someone say, what she did, she did out of the goodness of her own heart. And sometimes we say, he's a good man, or she's a good woman. Indeed, what we really are saying, as I have suggested, is that these are people who, of integrity, people who do the right thing, people who can be trusted to live other-oriented lives rather than self-centered lives. Now, it is also true that when you look at words in the Bible, words like kindness and, and goodness and even gentleness, these words are often used interchangeably. Uh, you might say they live in the same neighborhood, or perhaps better, they live in the same house. To be a good person is to be one who is kind one who deals gently with other people, one who loves to serve other people, a person of integrity. Now, in a very real sense, as I said last Sunday concerning kindness, we really don't need a definition of what goodness is. We know what it means to display the virtue of goodness. We know what it means to be good and to do good. 
What we really need to understand is that the virtue of goodness flows out of the character of God. In other words, our God is good, and our God does good. It is a biblical fact that God is the sum and substance of goodness. God's goodness is his perfect and absolute and eternally unchanging reality. Everything about God revealed in sacred scripture is factually good. God's sovereignty is good. God's holiness is good. God's word and will are good. God's justice and wrath are good for the simple reason that they honor the righteousness of God. God's love is good. God's faithfulness is good. And the list could stretch on and on. Everything about God is good, and his goodness is mentioned in virtually every book of the Bible. So for the sake of time, I would like to read a handful of verses honoring the goodness of God from one book, the Psalms. And in Psalm 34, verse 8, we simply read, taste and see that the Lord is good. In Psalm 84:11 we read, "For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless." Then in Psalm 100, "Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise." For the Lord is good, his love endures forever, and his faithfulness through all generations. If we want to know what the goodness of God is, it is his love that never ends. It is his faithfulness that stretches through all generations. God's goodness is his love and his faithfulness. Then in Psalm 107, we read, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So the psalmist is caught up in celebrating, in thanking God and praising him for his eternally unchanging, abundant goodness. But especially listen to Psalm 119 and verse 68. You are good, and you do good. Two realities about God. You are good, and you do good. What it means when the psalmist says you are good is that in the nature of God, in the divine essence, there exists in great abundance the reality of goodness. So that all that flows out of his divine essence is what he does. And what he does is always good. God, in terms of his activity in this world, will never, 
ever compromise the inner essence of his divine goodness. God will never commit an act that is unrighteous, that lacks integrity. God will never prove to be a bad actor. He is good. You remember that statement, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. But is he really good? After all, we still experience evil. Think for a moment about the story of Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, the patriarch. And you remember, sadly, that Jacob highly favored Joseph over all of his brothers. That's why Jacob gave to Joseph the bright and valuable coat of many colors. And we are told that the brothers of of Joseph were consumed with jealousy to such an extent that they plotted to kill him. But at the last possible moment, instead of committing the act of murder, they sold Joseph into slavery. They ripped apart the coat of many colors, dipped it in the blood of an animal, and showed it to Jacob saying, your son Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. Such was their hatred for their brother. And things got worse for Joseph. He goes into slavery in the land of Egypt. He is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and he is sent to languish in prison. There was a brief opportunity, you can read the story, where another prisoner was there who could have set him free. But he forgot about Joseph, and his languishing in prison continued. Until one day, by God's gracious and sweet providence, Joseph was raised out of the prison and placed second in command over all Egypt. Only Potiphar the king was above him. Joseph was in charge during a time of famine, of providing grain that had been stored up to the people who were starving. Eventually, Joseph and his brothers come face to face. And they know Joseph. They know it's Joseph. And we're told they were afraid. And that's when Joseph looked at them and said, you meant evil against me. God meant it for good. That's Genesis 50, 20. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Even in evil, and God never calls evil good, Joseph doesn't justify his brothers. He says, you did evil. You're culpable for your evil acts. But God is so sovereign and so powerful that he can bring good results out of the evil we are forced to endure. You meant it for evil. 
It is evil. But God meant it for good. And it goes on to say, for the saving of many lives. And the lives that Joseph saved was the redemptive line through which Jesus would someday enter our world. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. If you want to know what goodness really looks like, if you want to know what goodness really sounds like, all you need to do is listen to Jesus and watch how Jesus lives. There is an interesting verse in the Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. We break into the middle of a thought where the speaker there is describing Jesus as the promised Messiah. Listen to what he says. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good. On every page of the Gospels, as Jesus is moving around from town to town, from village to village, he always does what is good. He always says what is good. He lives a life of integrity. He always does the right thing because it's the right thing to do. He is good. And if we want to be people characterized by the virtue of goodness, we should covet what it means to be godly, to be like God, who is good. We should long to be like Christ, Christ-like in terms of goodness. And so the question is, how do we go about that? How do we pursue a lifestyle of goodness? Well, let me recommend a few truths that we need to embrace. And here is the first. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit to make us good. In all the sermons so far on the fruit of the Spirit and the ones that remain, that will always be a point in the sermon. We must ask the Holy Spirit. We must depend on the Holy Spirit to create in us and cultivate in us the virtues that make up the fruit of the Spirit, which certainly includes goodness. Without the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit residing in us and growing us in goodness, there will be no goodness Occasional acts of goodness, a good personality may exist, but the kind of goodness that is Christ-like, that is godly, only comes in dependence on the Holy Spirit who wants us to be Christ-like in our goodness. There is a quotation from William Tyndall that helps me much as I think along these lines, let me read it with you. 
It is no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, I can't. And it is no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. And that is exactly the point. Those who have believed on the Lord Jesus for eternal forgiveness and salvation have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit indwells us. He resides in us. And we are to ask Him to grow us, to mature us in terms of His sweet fruit. And we are to rely on, to depend on God the Holy Spirit. Here's another truth. We are to be zealous in doing good. We are to be eager in doing good. I want us to quickly work through three separate passages. And for this first one found in Titus chapter 2, I want you to listen for two appearings of Jesus in our world. There is what we call the appearing of grace where Jesus comes to bring us salvation. And then there's the appearing of glory when Jesus will return for us. One has already happened in the past, one will happen in the future. The appearing of grace and the appearing of glory. And in the between time, we are to live godly lives and we are to be eager to do good works. I want you to listen for that in these verses. Titus 2, beginning with verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, that's the appearing of grace, that offers salvation to all peoples. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now watch it. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The appearing of glory. Who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The ESV reads, to be zealous to do good works. So in the in-between time, he's brought us grace for salvation. And in that future moment of blessed hope, when our great God and Savior appears to take us to heavenly glory, we are to live in godliness. And we are to live lives where we are eager, zealous to be good and to do good. The second verse is very familiar to you. But have you ever noticed that if a passage is incredibly familiar and people know it and relish it, we sometimes forget the verse that comes after. And it's just as important. 
In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we read the familiar. For it is by grace you have been saved, and not of yourself, not by works, lest anyone should boast. For the verse tells us that we are saved by the grace of God. If you could do enough goodness in your own life to merit the salvation only God can give to you, you would have every possible reason to boast in yourself and to praise yourself. But there is no boasting. All praise goes to God because He is the one who saves us by God's riches at Christ's expense, by the grace of God. But what is the unfamiliar, the sometimes forgotten verse? It actually continues the thought. For verse 10 starts with the word for. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Why has He saved us? Not so we can sit back and do nothing in this world. He has saved us so that He can give us one opportunity after another to be good and to do what is good. Think of it this way. Our salvation is caused by the grace of God. And good works are the consequence of experience in that grace. The old reformers used to say, we are saved by grace alone. But we are not saved by a grace that remains alone. We are saved unto good works, for good works. Grace is the source of our salvation while good works are the fruit of that salvation. We are to be a people who are constantly on the lookout for fresh opportunities given by divine providence whereby we can be good and do good for God's glory in this world. And speaking of the glory of God, the third verse comes from our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, where in Matthew 5, verse 16, we read, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When we do what God gives us opportunity to do, there will be people who will give glory to God the Father because of the bright goodness they see on display in our lives. And the final truth is this. We are to persevere in doing good. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 13. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing 
what is good. Then, Gen- then uh, Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of God. We're to persevere. We're not to grow weary in well-doing. We are not to hold our goodness back. We are not to take short or long stretches of time where we engage in no goodness. We're never to slack off. We are to persevere in doing what is good. We should have reputations for goodness. Do you remember Dorcas in the book of Acts? It says she was always doing good and ministering to the poor. Or what about Barnabas? It says he was a good man filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a consequence, many came to faith in Jesus. So these truths, I think, will bolster the cultivation of goodness in our lives. But there is one more truth that we need to close with that we may find very difficult to grasp and apply. It's found in one verse of Holy Scripture. In Romans 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that what Joseph was doing? He had every opportunity to seek revenge and thus be overcome by evil. But he did good to his brothers. He forgave them and he provided for them. Back when I was a student at Columbia Bible College, from 78 to 82, every single year we had the privilege of hearing uh, John Perkins preach in a chapel service. He was a man who spoke with calmness and clarity, with authority, for he was a godly man. Something else about John Perkins, he was a black man. And that mattered in the late 60s and early Sundays, for not only was he a civil rights leader, he was a man who loved the gospel and loved to preach the gospel. He was born in Mississippi, but his family soon, uh, after he became a teenager, moved to California. And in California, he became a Christian When he entered into young manhood, he truly believed that God called him back to Branton, Mississippi, so that he could teach the gospel to the African-American community in which he was raised. And he preached the gospel powerfully, and people came to faith in Jesus. But on February the 7th, 1970, there was a van full of African-American students. They were pulled over by the police. 
and arrested for no apparent reason and placed in jail. When John Perkins and his, two of his friends heard about it, they went down to the jail to pay the bail. They were not criminals, they were preachers. And instead of being allowed to pay the bail to release the students, five police officers surrounded them. This will be hard to hear. They forced them to the ground. They beat them severely. They kicked them in their heads repeatedly and in their ribs, breaking many ribs and in other places on their bodies. Then one of the police officers took a fork and jammed it up John Perkins' nose. And then he pushed the fork down his throat. It has been called, rightly so, a case of evil in a particularly vicious, violent, and racist form. And as John Perkins lay on that cell floor, he passed in and out of consciousness, and the students who were caring for him were certain that he would be dead before morning. But as he did pass in and out of consciousness, he said later, I remember their faces, so twisted with hate. It was like looking at white-faced demons. For the first time, I saw what hate had done to those people. These policemen were very poor. They saw themselves as failures. The only way they knew how to find a sense of worth was by beating us. Their racism made them feel like somebody. And then he wrote this. When I saw that, I couldn't hate back. I could only pity them. I said to God that night, God, if you will get me out of this jail alive. I really didn't think I would. Maybe I was trying to bargain with him. God, I really want to preach a gospel that will heal those people too. Well, it took months and months for him to get over his injuries and his wound. He was cared for by two doctors who were very close friends and Christians, one black and the other white. And Perkins said this, God taught me that the same gospel that frees blacks also frees whites. And he concluded, now that God has enabled me to forgive the many whites who had wronged me, I found myself able to truly love them. I wanted to return good for evil. That's what he did. He's 92 today. He wrote his last book when he was 88, calling us to racial reconciliation. He served God because he believed in that worst possible moment. God was still being good to him.
for the saving of many lives. This is why we must depend on the Holy Spirit. That kind of goodness doesn't come naturally. And it is the high calling of the gospel. And the reason why is this. God himself, by his goodness, has overcome our own evil on the cross so that we could be and do good. Let us pray together. So Father in heaven, we really don't need a definition of goodness. We look at your son Jesus and we know what goodness is. We look at your own divine character, we know what goodness is. Help us to be and do good in the little things. When someone needs an uplifting word, when someone needs our kindness and gentleness, when someone needs a listening ear or a helping hand. But Lord, there are those times when we face the wrongs of others, sometimes even horrendously. We think of the persecuted church these days. Let us be a people who love Jesus so much, who so depend on the fullness of the Holy Spirit that we will never let evil overcome us, but we will overcome the evil with good. Thank you for such godly examples like John Perkins. And thank you especially for the godly example of the crucified one who overcame our evil and got for us forgiveness and redemption that we might be and do good. Holy Spirit, please ripen your sweet fruit in our lives. Amen.